Hello and welcome to the podcast, Priest, Brother, and You, Father Jake here, along with Brother Matthew and a special guest, Celia. Um, this is a podcast where it's a Priest, Brother, and You, where we talk about your deepest questions from life on campus. And again, I'm joined with Brother Matthew and Brother Matthew. Celia, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you on the show. Celia is a senior studying Russian history. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Celia recently finished a capstone project of her on the Soviet persecution of Catholics. Why yes. did you Why did you choose a, po- a project like that? That is such a good question that um, I really enjoy talking about because I chose to study uh, history as my major, but I'm getting a minor in the Russian language and in religious studies as well. And this question that I wrote my capstone on is actually why I chose to study history because I realized um, among many of my peers what we're taught in high school is that communism is bad and it doesn't really work but we're actually not taught kind of like the atheistic background of communism and its relation to religion and so I was always really interested in that, especially hearing about St. John Paul II when he was a bishop in Poland under the communists. And this was a cool way that I could write about my Russian history major, but also I could incorporate my faith into it. And it was a really rewarding project. I was uh, really impressed by the heroism of these bishops and priests that I got to write about. That is a great topic. And today you bring to us the topic of conscience. Yes. Is there a reason connected to your capstone that you wanted to talk about conscience? No, completely unrelated. It was a good try. <laughs> it was. <laughs> so, Celia, why are we talking about conscience? Yes. So, I have noticed, and recently this has just been on my mind for whatever reason, um, that in popular culture, the, our conscience is often portrayed as kind of like the angel and the devil on your shoulder. And it's often comical. And I just was thinking about how does that actually relate as Catholic Christians? What is our understanding of conscience? And I think we don't actually talk about it a lot, or at least in my years in CSU, the number of times I've had a conversation with someone about their conscience has been very minimal. And I just realized I myself don't have a great understanding of what my conscience is other than this um, kind of pop culture image of the angel and the devil on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. One thing I found in my own life, at least, is that the questions of conscience have come up more frequently during this pandemic because they seem the pandemic, the way it works is that we uh, we don't know too much about it and how to behave when we've been exposed to various levels And since there's not a clear answer, we rely on people behaving according to their conscience. And But then, often enough, on a matter like that, people's consciences come into conflict on the matter that they decide. And I think there's a number of areas like that in in our modern world where we come up against questions of conscience. Certainly that's something we might even say, as it happens about the problem of communism, is that there's there's a deep disrespect for conscience, in particular with respect to religious freedom. Yeah, I agree. This is a really good question, and even conscience itself, uh, like if you're lucky enough or blessed enough to be able to spell it right, (laughs) conscience is like concupiscence. It's like, oh, how do you spell that again? Maybe that keeps us away from talking about it. I don't know. Um, But but I think it's good just to have um, always some just 
fairly straightforward definitions of things. So yeah, like what are we speaking about when it comes to conscience within Catholicism? Not that conscience uh, is only for Catholics, it's for every human person. Um, but as conscience, a, a good definition uh, actually that comes from John Paul II in his document, Veritatis Splendor, or The Splendor of the Truth. I love it um, because he says, conscience is the sanctuary of man where he is alone with God, whose voice echoes within him. And let me say that again, because it's a, you know, it's a deep definition. It says conscience, it's, it's the sanctuary within a man or within a person, where he is alone with God, whose voice echoes within him. So almost like, let me break that down just for a quick moment. Like he says, the sanctuary of man. Like if you've been into a Catholic church, like think of St. Lawrence, there's the, there's the nave, which is the long part where everyone sits. And then there's the sanctuary. The sanctuary is that part that's closest to the tabernacle and at the altar. And there's less movement up there. It's something sacred. It's something silent. It's something still. And so John Paul II is saying that's what conscience is like. It's within a person. It's invisible. It's in the heart. It's in the mind. It's the sanctuary of the person where they are alone with God. Like maybe this is why communists um, don't acknowledge conscience because they don't acknowledge God. They don't think there is a conscience. Uh, so sanctuary of the person where they are alone with God whose voice echoes within him. Um to take it one step further, we would say some of those echoes would certainly be what's known to every person, just like the natural precepts of the natural law. Every person written on every heart or on every conscience are basic principles of the natural law, like do good, avoid evil. Uh, we don't have to make decisions about that. It's it's, it's in every person. Um, when we consider uh, precepts of the natural law, like we are drawn to community. As Aristotle said, we are social animals, so we're, we're drawn to certain things. Um, and there's certain laws that we know that we should and shouldn't do. So that'd be just a little introduction to conscience there. So clearly, conscience is significant in the Christian faith, and it occurs dozens of times in the New Testament. So Celia, why do you think we don't speak about conscience much in everyday parlance? Hmm. I wonder if because, I guess this is kind of a second question I have for both of you as well, is then what is the relationship between the Holy Spirit and our conscience? And I, I think we don't talk about conscience because we think about it as a negative thing, as a nagging voice that you don't want to listen to because it's telling you you can't have fun, or it's often a source of shame. Um, and I think that's why, because it's uncomfortable. We don't want to listen to our conscience. And sometimes morality can be phrased in a way that is maybe more attractive. And sometimes we do that, but I think I've realized I feel like I'm missing out on this understanding of conscience because it's obviously not a negative thing. If we're talking about it being the sanctuary where we are with God, I think it. we don't talk about it because it seems negative when it sounds like it's actually a very positive thing. Yeah, you're right, Celia. It is a very positive thing. And maybe, maybe for this reason that we believe as Christians that whenever our conscience convicts us of something, we are obliged to carry that out. 
So the conscience, that, that inner voice, which helps us to judge between good and evil, it thereby helps us to do what is right and, and to avoid evil. And, and, and you're, very, you're very right, Celia, that, that out in the world, I think we, we don't talk about conscience just because we think that that's going to, that's going to constrict my freedoms, that's going to make me into a person who does not experience pleasures and and i think frankly what happens is we tend to ignore conscience so much that eventually it becomes it becomes drowned out and sometimes we even say this person no longer has a conscience certainly they do but they've become so accustomed to ignoring it that they can live in in independence of it yeah yeah i i agree and cecilia i think this is just a great point about that I've, I've heard thematically in a lot of top, topics that we've had even on the podcast thus far about <laughs> things that are difficult for Catholics and non-Catholics uh, when it comes to following the Lord, where it can seem like if I do this, if I obey this prompting, if I follow my conscience, um, that it's going to somehow make me more unhappy, less free, and sort of like box me in. You know, it's like, okay, fine, I'm going to listen to my good little angel, but this bad little angel to kind of use that image. That's the more fun. That's the pleasurable. That's the thing that I would really like to do. And yet if I obey my conscience, like, wah, wah, I got to just like, it's like the equivalent of like just doing what I'm told, be a good little Catholic. (laughs) And it seems like you're saying maybe that's one reason why we don't really like to talk about it. Like we like to talk about freedom and things that can free people, not boxing people in. I guess kind of going off of that, Um, I think one thing we struggle with is college students is, especially as we are coming more into our faith, our consciences are being more awakened. And sometimes we find ourselves in a place with fellow Catholic students where I think all of us are probably experiencing our conscience going a little crazy and kind of poking us a little bit of, hey, maybe this is something you shouldn't be doing. But since we're in a group with other Catholics, often it's like, well, no one else has said anything, I guess it's okay. And I don't know what advice both of you would have for that, but how can we be more bold in listening to our conscience and in addressing areas, even amongst fellow Catholics in CSU? That's a great question. Maybe I'll let Father Jake answer that question. But first, let me say a few things more fundamentally about why this question comes up. It's the case that the Catholic Church says that we have a conscience, but that's not all the Catholic Church says. The Catholic Church says, furthermore, that conscience, the judgments of conscience, are not always correct. So what that means, ultimately, is that certainly if you disobey your conscience, you always do evil in a certain respect. And why is that the case? Because the the dignity of the human person is such that to to disobey your conscience is to do violence to the integrity of your person. Now, now that part, that part, I think the, our, our world, our surrounding understands that. In fact, we say there's a kind of relativism out there that says, just follow your conscience. If you follow your conscience, you're doing the right thing. The Catholic Church, on the other hand, says disobeying your conscience is certainly a wrong thing. But on the other hand, obeying your conscience does not always mean that you perform the right action. To 
your point, Brother Matthew, that you're just making, maybe that sounds like kind of confusing, like what? Um, my, my hearing that, um, it's a good point that's not very little talked about um, with regard even to conscience. Like think about in the, in the political season that we just had, you know, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. Basically, you could, you could say the whole moral teaching on voting is just to vote one's conscience. But we, but we must also acknowledge, to Brother Matthew's point, that even if we obey our conscience, it is possible to go astray. And here's why. It's not enough just to say in an absolute way, obey your conscience. What would be more clear and more uh, fully integrated is to say, obey your rightly ordered or your rightly educated conscience. What that means is it's not enough just to kind of be alone in my room and not form my conscience according to the truth. So we must actually, we're obliged to seek to continue to form our conscience in the truth, lest we obey a disordered conscience. So, it, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever studied something, and maybe you were studying it under a false principle. And it's like, it kind of undermines the whole thing. <laughs> and it takes humility to say, oh, I think I've been studying something under the fa- a false principle, and it undermined the whole study. And I actually have to acknowledge that, oh, what is the right principle? So as Catholics, we say it's not enough just to obey one's conscience. You actually have to seek to be a person of prayer. You actually have to seek to learn what the church teaches and why, so as to order one's conscience. It would be easy for someone to say, hey, I, you know, I willingly support, say, for example, abortion. And my conscience is telling me to do that. My conscience is so clean. Um, and we would say, wait a minute. How is it possible that your conscience is saying that? Is it really the voice of God? And they're like, well, yes, it is. I say, well, listen to what the voice of the church has always said. This should be very helpful in ordering our conscience so that we can trust it. So that's just a few thoughts. I think that reminds me of something that some of the women in uh, CSU have been reading in our small group material. And one of the things was the difference between guilt and shame and how shame is actually knowing our sin, but kind of in a negative way that allows um, Satan's voice to come in there of blaming ourselves to a place where we deny the mercy of the Lord, where guilt is more of a healthy conviction of our sin and understanding that we have done wrong in bringing us to repentance. And I think in a similar way to what you were saying, Father Jake, that's what that made me think of, of knowing our conscience or having a formed conscience sometimes can be exhausting when you feel your conscience kind of coming alive and you can be wrestling with yourself. And I guess my question there is, in what way, as we are beginning to form our conscience or as college students, we're starting to learn how to do that, in what way do we invite the Holy Spirit into that? And in what way should we seek out guidance from a priest or someone we trust, someone we can talk to about, is my conscience formed well here? Is there something missing here? How should I go about this? Yeah, good question. And Brother Matthew, feel free to jump in as well. I would say the fact that you asked that question is indicative of the fact that you are well on the way. (laughs) And that's not just saying it, because it's a posture of humility. I could be wrong. So I want, to, I want to speak with others. I want to seek out other sources because I could be wrong. For someone who's very, well, for someone who's not growing, 
or maturing in their conscience um, is someone who's quite stubborn and saying, nope, I know what I want to do. Nope, I, I already know it. <laughs> Don't need to talk with you. Uh, so the posture of humility will be your greatest weapon, to use that language, in further illuminating your conscience with light. And that's the language in Catholicism we would use, like, Lord, you enlighten our minds, as opposed to what? A darkened mind, an ignorant mind, a stubborn mind. So seeking out sources or persons or the wisdom of the church is a posture of humility that you cannot go wrong with. Um, Whenever we're coming with that posture of humility, you can be assured that you're well on your way to keeping a well-formed mind in, in the mind of God. And I think too, if there's any temptation for us to think, well, well, how am I, sh- how am I supposed to be living virtuously at all, while my conscience is still being formed? In fact, the Catholic Church teaches that the formation of conscience is something that goes on for our entire lives. So we'll never actually arrive in this life to a fully formed conscience. But there is, I think, when we look a bit more closely, which we ought to do, let's think about it like this: our our conscience makes two types of judgments, those that are correct and those are those that are erroneous. Now, when we make a correct judgment with conscience, then we end up doing a good act. When we make an erroneous judgment of conscience, we do an evil act, but we might not be guilty of it. And that's for the reason of ig- ignorance. If we acted out of what the church calls invincible ignorance, then we are not guilty. If there's no way that we could have known better, then we're not guilty of the wrongdoing we did. Now, of course, in many cases, though, even though we act out of ignorance, we're guilty of the ignorance. Especially, we're, we're probably blinded by bad habits, which have brought us into a pattern where our conscience has become numbed to the matter at hand. Yeah, I think those are good points and just that basic distinction of an invincible ignorance and a vincible ignorance. Vincible or invincible, coming from the Latin meaning, it's conquerable. Invincible means like, oh, the person would never have been able to know what the right thing to do was in their circumstances. That's uh, invincible ignorance. Vincible is something that someone should have known what they should have done. They should have formed their conscience, but they didn't do it. Think about like the, um, when we go to confession and we say, uh, what I have done and what I have failed to do. So there are things that we could have done that we maybe even should have done that we decided not to do. <laughs> that would be um, vincible ignorance. We should have been able to form our conscience. Uh, but yeah, but then there's just the natural growth of the human person where, yeah, a 10-year-old wouldn't be obliged to know what maybe a, a a college student should know in the moral life, but they shouldn't get down on themselves. I can't believe I'm not reading Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> uh, no, uh, the Lord uh, fully respects our our organic growth as a human person. Um, so, yeah, there's a big difference between a 10-year-old conscience and a 22-year-old conscience. Um, dare I say it, but some uh, a lot of 22-year-old consciences are at the level of a 10-year-old. <laughs> so sometimes that can be the case, too. Well, as someone that's 22 for uh, nine more days, that was kind of interesting, Father Jake. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> I think that's really encouraging to hear because sometimes as we learn more about our faith, I think there can be a certain amount of despair 
learning that things are sins and especially finding out that certain things are mortal sins and kind of having a moment of, I didn't know, like, oh dear, I've been sinning in these ways and I wasn't aware. So I think that's really encouraging to realize there's a lot for us to learn and there's a lot of areas of sin to conquer as we just continue, um, especially in CSU, to learn what these things mean. I guess kind of my final question um, would be, what is the relationship between conscience and the Holy Spirit? If they're not synonymous, but sometimes it seems they're kind of the same thing, is is conscience a function of the Holy Spirit, or how does that kind of fit into this picture of what conscience is? Like I mentioned, the, the scriptures speak many times about conscience. And one of the things that St. Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 9, he says, my conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so right there we see in a lot of clarity the relationship between conscience and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is an assistance, is an aid to our conscience. The Holy Spirit helps form our conscience in general, and it also guides us in particular decisions. Yeah, and I would say with, um, it's a really good question. When Jesus says, you will know a tree by its fruits, um, there's two primary fruits. There's the fruits of sin or evil and the fruits of God um, or the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Um, so say, for example, many people are familiar with the seven, seven deadly sins when we start living in accordance with those seven deadly sins, pride, covetousness, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, and sloth, uh, we're living a, a life apart from the Holy Spirit. It's a life of darkness. That's what sin does. It deadens and it darkens. Darkens the mind and deadens the heart. A life in the Holy Spirit, that's where we see uh, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, like the seven, almost the other side of of the seven deadly, not zins, but sins, uh, which is wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. All of those things are things that illumine, not darken, but illumine, <laughs> and bring light to the mind, light to the heart. And so whenever we're s simply, like I could just say, in, a, in, for, in, a, in the form of a principle, the more you say yes to the will of God, the more you're living in the light of the Holy Spirit and the tree will be starting to, and it will continue to bear good fruit. So my question then as more of a practical question that I would love to know the answer to and I'm sure some other students would like to know when we're in a group of our friends, and I think we probably all experience this, we're with some friends from CSU, and maybe we're doing something that all of us, our consciences may be telling us, this might not be the most wholesome thing to do. Is this really glorifying the Lord? What advice would you have in, in that situation where you're in the moment? How would you discern whether or not this is my conscience prompting me in a good way to speak up and to actually change the course of the activity to glorify the Lord? Or how do you discern if maybe that's a person being scrupulous and overconscious of something that's not actually evil? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question and definitely one that a lot of authentic community hinges upon. 
because to have authentic community, you have to have like, you have to have boundaries, <laughs> to be frank. Like, when are we pushing the limit too much? You know, it's one thing to kind of talk about a person that we all know, and to speak about them, you know, in a certain way, and like, you know, joke around a little bit about their idiosyncrasies. And then the conversation takes a little bit of a left turn and it goes down a little bit of a darker route. Like, oh yeah, like she's always doing that. And like, uh, I feel so like, should I say something? Should I not say something? Um, so it's a good question of discernment or like, yeah, listening to one's conscience when it, when the conversation or the culture of our community is starting to, as a whole, just shift down a darker way. Like we can have humor, we can have levity. Um, you know, we can even have some little, you know, punching each other in a little bit, uh, having fun with each other. But then there is, I don't know if gals do that. Do they? Did you guys punch each other? Okay. <laughs> um, but this would be where you can, the distinction is like, am I being too prudish here? Oh my heavens, your skirt is like one and a half inches above your knee. You know, like, okay, that might be a little on the prudish side. <laughs> uh, and then there's like more of the virtue of magnanimity or great soldness where you are calling people onto greatness and not putting people into a box. Like, okay, come on, like we're too good for this. Um, I remember, uh, if I can tell a very, a very brief story, I remember when I was playing rugby and we were playing um, a different college, we were playing University of West Virginia, and one of the guys on the other team in the middle of play totally took out one of our guys in a, in a total cheap shot and the benches emptied. I was on the bench. So, so we all ran out there just like furious with our fists up, we were going to pummel the other team, you know? And our coach, Jim, ran out to the middle of the field, all in front of us said, we are Christian men. And he roared at us like a lion. And it wasn't being prudish. He was being like courageous. He's like, we are, we are better than this. And it actually called us up and didn't push us down. We're actually like, yeah, we, we are better than this. And that's magnanimity. It's not being prudish. It's not being, okay, let's, it's, it's actually calling people to the greatness for which they're called. Um, so maybe it, it's, it's an art form. It's not easy to learn like how to speak the truth in a way that's magnanimous to a community to encourage. Um, but we, we can learn this as we go on. Um, so it's something that we can learn and say, all right, I think we've crossed a line and kind of say it in a lighthearted way but with a little bit of a tone that people know like, yeah, I think we have crossed the line here. I would only reiterate that when our conscience lands on the good, then we have to choose it. But the situation you described, Celia, is one where even when our conscience lands on the good, it's difficult to choose it because it requires so much courage. But at the very bottom, once our conscience determines what the good act is, that's the right thing to do. And to do otherwise is to, is to betray, betray our conscience. So I think in situations like that, trying to recognize, am I battling with conscience here or am I battling with courage? And it, it may be both. It certainly may be both. I think in terms of assessing our, our conscience, it's not only this Holy Spirit which assists us in our conscience, but it's also the it's also the virtue of prudence, as Father Jake speaks about, so assessing the circumstances. And then finally, something we haven't spoke about much, it's the it's the advice of others, those who we trust, getting their input on it. They can be an unbiased observer, and they too can help form our conscience as to what the right thing is to do.
Awesome. This is, I think that was a cool way to bring it all together. And it's definitely helped my mind with all of this. These were kind of a lot of abstract concepts that suddenly make more sense. And I think just that last advice, Brother Matthew, too. Uh, talk with others and bring it to people that we trust. I hope that starts a lot of conversations. I know I'm going to be looking to have conversations like that with more people as we form conscience. St. Paul says, in defending himself in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 24, he says, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. And that's a high calling for all of us, because if, if Paul's life is any example, keeping a clear conscience was not easy. Ultimately, it cost him his life. But may we strive for that ideal. We want to always have a clear conscience before the Lord. That's the only way for true freedom, the only way to sanctity. Great having you here. It was good to be here. Thank you both.